And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to films, and uh, in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of August 2020, and uh, we're in the middle of our uh, special event month here called Anime August, uh, wherein I take creative control of the program for the next four weeks and uh, subject Kyle to a number of Japanese animated films from a variety of directors. Waterboard. Um, <laughs> uh, so Kyle um, has a bit of a shaky track record with Japanese animation. He's not a fan. Um, last year, the intention was kind of like to dip his toes into the waters, kind of like show him not not necessarily like the greatest hits, but just give him like like give him a palette. Like, give him a taste of a variety of directors and a variety of animation houses, you know. Uh, get, get him comfortable with the world of Japanese animation. Uh, this time around, though, um, Kyle has so far described it as a waterboarding. <laughs> a, a, a exercise in waterboarding. Uh, torture, essentially. Yes. Uh, uh, this <laughs> does happen from time to time. I've chosen movies for you to watch where you're like, uh, I think, from was it From the Dark? Is that what the movie that I picked? It was, oh, never... that, that wasn't torture, Kyle. That was just a low-budget film that didn't have much to offer. Yes, so it, was, it was just it was just gray. It was just 90 minutes of just flat white noise. Yes. Just, I, I mean, sure, it's Irish. There's some novelty there. But in terms of innovations and like neat camera tricks or fancy editing, it didn't really have much going for it. Arguably, there was some lore going on in there that we just weren't really acquainted with. And I wasn't able to find much literature. And I tend to actually screen some of the films I'm a little iffy about. And I've definitely sat through... <laughs> A good probably six to nine hours of movies where I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do this. Uh, this isn't going to do anything. <laughs> um, but Trevor does not extend me that same uh, courtesy. So well, see, Kyle, I, I make the fucking mistake of, you know, serving you movies that I happen to have a personal personal attachment to. Yeah. That's probably the first mistake in, <laughs> in podcasting is to bring things to the table that you actually like. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when Sometimes. the other person's going in blind and probably isn't going to agree with you. <laughs> um, especially in the case of uh, today's film. Uh, so last week, we, we covered Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. Um, which is not a film that's especially important to me. However, I do think from a purely aesthetic perspective, uh, in terms of lights with sound value, I do think it's a, a gorgeous film in a lot of ways. It's a very handsome film. Um, I thought Kyle might get something out of the design work and just the audiovisual presentation. He did not. <laughs> um, it however, had a few this moments. It did have a few moments that I did appreciate. I will give you that. There were a few, a moments. few moments in an hour and 45 minute runtime which is not sufficient. Uh, I agree. It, it's a flawed film. However, I thought the shots and the background art would be enough. It was not. Um, <laughs> this week, um, I subjected Kyle to uh, Masami Obari's uh, Fatal Fury, the motion picture from 1994, um, as animated by, I believe it's a Studio Comet. Uh, they're an eclectic animation house. I forgot to mention last week, uh, Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust is a Madhouse production. Uh, they're one of the most prolific animation houses in Japan. They do anything and everything. And same with Studio Comet. Uh, they apparently they do a lot of like children's programming, <laughs> like really young children's programming. Like we're talking like Kirby from the Nintendo world, mm. like kind of shows things that look like that. Gotcha. Um, and then they did this. <laughs> uh, so this movie um, is 
of course, a product of the Fatal Fury video game franchise um, known as Garou Densetsu in uh, Japan, uh, Legend of the Hungry Wolf. Um, and it's a product of SNK, which is essentially... Um, so imagine Capcom is Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, SNK would be Capcom's Sega. Gotcha. Um, so they ran parallel to Capcom. They imitated them kind of along the way. They kind of butted heads for decades. And now Capcom is definitely the winner between those two. <laughs> so was this like, uh, I would say, like Street Fighter was like number, it was like neck and neck. Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter were neck and neck in the U.S. This doesn't seem like it had a big following as far as the U.S. audience is concerned. Because we had uh, Mortal Kombat, which, you know what, arguably I think that was the bigger that was the bigger video game. It was because that had the bigger the bigger film, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, SNK as a company, um, as far as I understand, the, the majority of their fan base is Japan exclusive, um, as as well as just uh, Asia as a region. Um, China and Korea both have a lot of appreciation for their products. And then uh, parts of South America, like Brazil in particular. Um, but mm, North America, like North America, mm, not so much. Um, their products definitely had a place in our arcades. Um, but in terms of like social cachet, like like mainstream social cachet and whatnot, they didn't have much of any. Um, gotcha. I guarantee you, you have at least seen their products in an arcade when you were young. Um, they SNK made the Neo Geo machine, um, or I should I should say it correctly, Neo 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 Geo. <laughs> there's a there's a music video um, that's pretty fucking great. Um, about, it's called the Neo Geo song. Um, but Neo Geo was, it's like a red arcade cabinet that was famous for housing uh, two or three uh, games per arcade cabinet. Gotcha. And basically all you needed to look for was the red paint job. And it's like, ah, that's a Neo Geo. Um, gotcha. Um, so, but yeah, you're, you're right about um, Fatal Fury being not even a close second to Street Fighter in this country in particular. I was taking a look at it and like Fatal Fury, I looked up. The, the first thing that popped up was like the video game I'm like oh this looks a lot like Street Fighter like just the like the, the stills and stuff like that I'm like okay so this is a fatal this is gonna be a fatal fury movie so I kind of knew what I was getting into I'm like these are probably characters that don't generally have a lot of characterization uh, I'm Mortal Kombat apparently the booklets for Mortal Kombat are extensive from what I'm un- from what I understand now is that the case with Street Fighter and fatal fury uh that's like case with a lot of video games actually um a lot of fighting games um, from this time from 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 this era okay um it was it all it's like a the way a comic book history formulates like a comic book canon where it it all builds on top of itself so right out the gate chun li didn't have a whole lot to her um but after subsequent iterations and you know further games and whatnot you know they just keep building on top of that to the point where it's like okay wh- what happened when and who has what relation to whom who the fuck knows <laughs> um but yeah uh, booklets um i remember the the street fighter 2 booklet in the super nintendo edition uh of that game i remember my brother and i had that and i remember flipping through the booklet and they did have a couple of paragraphs written out for every character interesting uh, so even back then they were they were working at it they actually gave a shit shit. (laughs) even if you didn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh generally what we do is we discuss if this is your first time listening uh we generally discuss uh go through the film like front to back uh kind of talk about what we like what we disliked and kind of overall how the script uh plays out um but 
as I had mentioned at the top, uh, this was extremely difficult for me to watch. Uh, I, it's generally hard for me to engage with anime, and aside from, I think, Ghost in the Shell and Ninja Scroll, um, it's been pretty difficult to get through some of these. This one, uh, definitely. Um, but I had a feeling there wouldn't be... Uh, I, I was curious as to what you thought about the characterization of the characters. Because, um, like, compared to, like, Mortal Kombat, where they... In the game, they don't really have a lot of characterization just because of like how the games were back then. It's literally two people just walking back and forth, punching each other and kicking each other. Um, how would you say? How would you say this ranks compared to like the other film adaptations you've seen of video games from this era? Uh, well, this one's this one's a little difficult to to dissect in that fashion because I threw you not into the deep end but i did throw you into the pool with this one mm-hmm. um in the sense that this is fatal fury the motion picture um this was actually preceded by two ovas um so not theatrical films not feature length films but like 45 minute animations mm-hmm. um with character designs done by the director he did not direct those films but so basically what i'm trying to say is this film had two chapters preceding it mm-hmm. um so the characterization uh, as presented in this film, is derived from from like the outlines presented in those earlier chapters. So they were building on top of the mythology that they made specifically for this movie, for this for this animation series, as opposed to just the video game series. So there's a a divergence from the animated version of these characters and the video game version of them. Now um, I know the answer to this question is yes. There are uh, other. Um, not necessarily anime, but other uh, animated films or shorts of the other, like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Um, were there any other along these lines for like Mortal Kombat at this time, or was it just video game and then straight to live action, live action, and then they did a whole bunch of other animated stuff? So I'm not positive what came first, um, but there was a trend in the mid '90s, um, well, from the early '90s onward, of uh, fighting games being adapted to animation or film or a series format and uh, Street Fighter 2 the animated film was one of the earlier examples this was one of the earlier examples and virtually every SNK fighting game franchise of which there are many mm-hmm. also got animated adaptations Street Fighter 2 got multiple adaptations there was an entire TV series an anime based on it um, and Mortal Kombat followed suit in the form of like a, a straight-to-VHS movie that you could rent at your local blockbuster that had uh, 2D hand-drawn animation as well as CGI animation, really oh. bad CGI animation. Really? Um, this is a relic of a bygone era that is certainly worth looking up because it is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's hideous to look at. You can. It's like one of those weird... It's, it's like part of that weird point in uh, animation history where we're doing CGI, but people are represented as just like balls that are loosely attached to each other and then the balls kind of like break through each other on occasion because the animation like the the character modeling isn't stable in the computer and it's just like the physics just shatter every couple of seconds uh speaking of balls um i think (laughs) uh because i'm thinking of goro now um Mm. uh i think now like i again like anime is not really my thing i would totally watch if they put one out now um, a feature-length anime film of Mortal Kombat, uh, like if they were to do it now. Well, they have one that came out about six Sub-Zero? months ago. Was it Sub Zero? Uh, 
Scorpion. Oh, they did a Scorpion one. Yeah. I don't. I don't want it to be one character centric. I need it like. Well, maybe not. That's not true. It's good versus evil, not necessarily character versus other character, whatever side that may be. So. I haven't done my research, so this could be just me talking on my ass. Um, it's a podcast, so. It is a podcast. It that's is what, a podcast. That's, that's the whole point of doing that's it. That's like 90% of what a podcast is. It's like, oh, you have a big enough ego to think people want to hear you talk about bullshit for two and a half hours a week? <laughs> okay. I hope your commute is going well out there. <laughs> um, but uh, that Scorpion movie, um, Warner Brothers, as far as I know, owns... Uh, the rights to Mortal Kombat, so they publish all the games. Uh, so Warner Brothers has their animation studio that does all the like the DC Comics animated films. Uh-huh. So those folks did it. So it's in a pseudo anime style. It's mm. like drawn to look like anime, but it's definitely a Warner Brothers product. Um, as far as I know, uh, if I remember right from the trailer, it looked like they retell the the story of the first Mortal Kombat. Mm. Um, so in between Scorpion like seeking revenge during that tournament, you also get the tournament. Okay. So like Luke, Luke Kang like I think fights like Goro in there, and like I, I think Sonya and Kano and all those people are in there as well. So it's it's like a retelling of the first tournament, but Scorpion's the the focal point of the story. So it might have parts of what you're looking for. Oh, I'm <laughs> and then back. the the live action film is, uh, I think. It's in the can. It's probably in post-production as we speak. I hope so, because if it gets a theatrical release, you have my money. I will definitely yeah. go watch that in the theater. I've been uh, following the Instagram of a couple of the major players in it, like some of the major actors. Uh, they're not household names, but, <laughs> but I, think Louis, that movie. I think I think Louis Tan is like one of the big ones. And uh, yeah, they've been talking it up for a while now, and it sounds like it's on its way. Mm. You know who would make a good Johnny Cage if it was if they were doing this with a younger Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds, uh, I think he would oh. made he would made a fun yeah. Johnny Cage. Yeah, no, I mean, and if you if you want to make Trevor happy, what you do <laughs> is you you uh, you have a callback to X Men Origins Wolverine, and you have Scott Adkins be his stunt double, <laughs> waiting for his name, to, waiting for his name to come up. Actually, just make Scott Adkins. I mean, he could be Scorpion or Sub Zero uh, easily. I don't, or you could just try to make him Johnny Cage, although he is charismatic, but I don't know if he's that charismatic. I don't know if he can carry it. I mean, if, if you want the movie to make money, uh, you put Ryan Reynolds in it, but you also have to have the money to get the Ryan Reynolds, which I feel like is kind of difficult. He's I mean, Kyle, expensive. he's making a sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard as we speak. Oh. Um, I'm pretty sure his asking price isn't that high. <laughs> Are we going to get Deadpool 3? Because I really do like those first two movies. I'd be fine if they finished the trilogy. Uh I mean, Disney likes money, and both of those movies made money, and they re- they <laughs> released the second money. one twice, and as far as I know, it made money both times, so yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, we'll get a third. I mean, that was a dumb question. Yeah, we're definitely going to get a third one. Um, I'll, so we're not really going to go like front to back to the film, uh, but I want to just give like kind of the plot synopsis, like kind of what's happening here. Um, we have... Now, this is where I'm, I'm not too sure about this world, Um we have a bit of magic going on here. We've got like some Hadouken things going. Um, we've got a dude who is Hadouken capable, uh, looking for six pieces of some kind of hidden ancient armor, and his sister and her group of friends, uh, consisting of a couple of brothers, and another hot chick, and then um, a guy who looks like Ryu, Ryu, from Street Fighter. Um, they're trying to stop him. Um, 
and they don't really they do and they don't they they do stop him and they don't stop him and then there's just some kind of australian beefcake in bamboo uh he was very confusing yeah um I may as well get into this now. Uh, now, thank you for that plot summary, by the way. I, I made sure not to interrupt you because you were like sounding it out as you went, and you you did it. Like you stuck the landing. Good job. <laughs> um, so, what Kyle is uh, referencing is Geese Howard, um, mm. who was the chief antagonist of the first OVA of the animated films, and is essentially like the chief antagonist of the entire Fatal Fury franchise. Oh. Uh, um, he's the equivalent of like M. Bison or, or Vega, depending on what country you're from. Uh, Shang so Ra- Raul Julia. Yeah, he's, oh, oh. he's Shang Tsung or Shao Kahn. Is, okay, now, I, uh, because I suck at Mortal Kombat, I do have it for Super Nintendo and I can't get past Goro. Um, who comes up? Is it Shang Tsung is after Goro in the, in the video game? Correct. Okay. In, okay, the, so in the first one, yeah. Okay. And, and the second one, he's a playable character and Shao Kahn is the big bad, uh, preceded by Kintaro. Shao Kahn is uh, the bad guy from the second one. I can, Brian, yeah. can never, Brian Thompson. Local hero. Yeah, Brian <laughs> Thompson. Hometown hero, Brian Thompson. <laughs> I mean, you got a couple of big beefcakes because Brian Thompson, uh, uh, Carl Weathers. Uh, who, uh, oh, yeah. Carl I think Weathers. he was out on like Whidbey Island for a while there. Was he? I think so. I think he I was, think yeah. my friend told me that. <laughs> Carl Weathers. And you've got Joe McHale, who's a beefcake, but not like not that caliber of beefcake. But yeah, and then you got—he's very tall, so you yeah. can fake it. <laughs> and then you got Chris Pratt, and then we got Chris Pratt. <laughs> more of lasagna. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh, uh, what I wanted to talk about was um, so Geese Howard. Um, Kyle is talking about something that happens in in these long franchises sometimes. Uh, in particular, like franchises that thrive off of, of uh, fan service. So you'll, you see this in Marvel movies sometimes where they, they put something on the screen and the people who get it, get it. They get something out of it. Like, like imagine like um, you're in Odin's trophy room or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we walk down the hall and he has just all these artifacts and whatnot. 80% of the people watching the movie, probably 90% of the people watching the movie aren't going to have a fucking clue what those things are. They just look cool. And then there's, you know, the comic book people in the audience who are like, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, 10 years before we actually got to see the Infinity Gauntlet. I actually have one of the, I mean, there's several in Lord of the Rings, but I think Mithrandir, when they call Mithrandir, uh, Gandalf Mithrandir, that's one of his names. And it's not, I mean, if you go into that just blind, you like, you don't know, you've never read the books or anything. You're like, why are they calling him that different name? The books he's referred to, he has like four different names within Middle Earth. Um, but one that I really was disappointed in when I saw the extended version of Lord of the Rings is that um, they, in the Fellowship of the Ring, the the Fellowship get to, or the Hobbits basically get to where Bilbo talks about the trolls that happened in the Hobbit, where the trolls were about to eat all the dwarves and they get turned to stone because Gandalf comes and saves them. In the theatrical version, there's no mention of it. They're just kind of in this like um, little wooded area, and you see these statues. And you have, if you've never read the books, you have no idea what this is. Anybody who's read The Hobbit knows, ah, those are the trolls. And it's it's a nice little thing, but the extended version ruins it because Sam's like, oh look, it's it's Mr. Bill, it's uh, it's Bilbo's uh, trolls that he was talking about. Like, they draw too much attention to it. He yeah. just he just mentions it in passing, and it's just enough to ruin it. Gotcha. 
yeah. that's that's exactly what fan service is essentially yeah, um, yeah. In, in anime it usually translates to boobs or uh, or uh, you know <laughs> a single just... a single frame of butt cheek um, <laughs> as somebody turns or something um, yeah. You, yeah usually that's the definition of fan service in anime but um, there's also, you know, less lascivious versions of it. In this case, Geese Howard showing up in the middle of the film for no reason other than to do his special move, the raising a storm, and look cool. Um, he's a very important character to the lore, um, but in the context of this film, there's it, no reason for him to be here. Is he the um, big? But, was he the main? Was he the guy that they're defeating at the end? Because there was something that kind of switched up on me there. No, he that, he's okay. only there for those couple That's of seconds. Okay. And even even as a child, Kyle, the first time I saw this, I was very disappointed that he never came back. Because even as a child, I knew the only reason Geese Howard should be in this is because he and Terry Bogard have beef. And, you know, he needs to show up at the end and they need to throw down. But no, he just says, I'll get you next time, Gadget, and then doesn't show up. <laughs> when you were a kid, were you disappointed? I don't know, maybe it was happening conc uh, uh, concurrently, uh, but Jax in the Mortal Kombat, the live-action Mortal Kombat, were you disappointed, like, that's all the Jax you get? Uh, I don't even think I realized that was Jax because he's in so little of it, and all yeah. he does is ineffectually yell at Sonya to come back. Yeah. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't even move. He doesn't get out of his chair. He, he just says, Sonya! Hey, Sonya! Hey, Sonya! Yeah. <laughs> That's all he does in that movie. <laughs> he runs around with a shotgun with a giant flashlight on it, and he yells at Sonya. They plucked her eyebrows to not give a shit. Like, look at look at those eyebrows. She does not. How care. many episodes in a row am I gonna have to say no milk will be our milk? <laughs> so, Kyle, um, being as you mentioned, well, we both mentioned childhood. Um, that's actually why I picked this movie is uh, I saw this movie when I was fairly young. You know, boobs were pretty important at that time in my life. Yeah. Uh, I saw this movie on the Sci-Fi Channel for the first time. Oh. Um, it was very, very late at night. I was doing the thing I tended to do at the time, and I was just, like, drawing. And actually, funny enough, uh, Fatal Fury was not a very important part of my life as a kid. Um, I think my brother rented the first game on the Super Nintendo, and we had a hell of a time with that game because SNK games... that. SNK made arcade games. So whenever those arcade games came home, the quarter munching aspect of their design stayed with them. Uh, mm. So they were brutally difficult. Um, in fact, if you use the phrase like difficult boss fight in a video game context, um, there's another level of that called SNK boss, where, <laughs> where it's like deeply unfair. <laughs> um, so I remember my brother and I like grappled with that game for a weekend, and it was enough. Uh, like just the character designs I really liked for some reason. And I used to draw Terry Bogard um, from that first game as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it was just really, really late at night on and on the sci-fi channel. The, this movie came on dubbed in English. And I was like, what? They made an animated version of that thing that I played a couple years ago. And I, I kind of got, I got swept up in it. And mm -hmm. a lot of it had to do with the music and a lot of it had to do with, with that, with the the lore aspect of it where i was seeing characters that i vaguely recognized because um, i didn't follow through with my interest in the franchise like my brother had uh, subscriptions to game magazines and stuff and every once in a while they'd have reviews and uh, guides on some of the fatal fury games so like over the years i you know familiarized myself with the character designs and whatnot so like when a character would pop up honestly it was my first time 
seeing them in anything other than like a magazine but just that connection that little bit of familiarity made it all the more approachable for me Hmm. and uh yeah it was it was just a funny thing that got me at exactly the right moment in my life i guess gotcha yeah we're um i'm actually gonna go see my brother uh, on tuesday and we've got a nice video game day plan we got mario kart for the wii he's gonna use his gamecube controller to play against me yeah yeah you have ringer (laughs) yeah he thinks he's gonna win he thinks he can win he ain't gonna win uh and uh, yeah, I think we're gonna bust out the uh, the Super Nintendo. We might play. Might get some honeycomb, some uh, some honeycomb cereal, maybe some golden grams, and uh, we're gonna play some video games. It's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> Diabetes and video games. Diabetes All right, and video games. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the the voice acting I mentioned before uh, we started recording. I I have to say, like probably one of my. This probably been my favorite of the voice actors because there's two two heavy hitters for me three actually uh that i found really enjoyable um who is our main villain because i just have him written down as spicoli <laughs> uh, so the name of the villain is uh laucorn um and his brother is uh, sister sulia um but laucorn uh, kyle do you want to explain maybe <laughs> why why spicoli <laughs> well he's spicoli because he's actually sounds like he's a fucking mute teenage mutant ninja turtle man like he's like he's got a radical accent in this it, <laughs> it, it like when it happens you're like wait a minute what am i watching this is this is right right yeah this is what i'm supposed to be watching yeah, that's your big bad, fucking Michelangelo. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm coming from like just having watched uh, um, Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust, where D doesn't really talk much and it's very, very quiet. It has, he has like no personality really, and the only thing it's like talking is his little hand, and his little hand kind of sounds like the is it Princess Mononoke or maybe it was. Um, Maybe it was Ninja Scroll, where there was the little guy. I think it was Ninja Scroll had the little guy that was kind of boisterous. Yeah, correct. Um, so yeah, th- I, there wasn't a lot of memorable accents or voice actors from that movie. So this was kind of like, okay, you have my attention with his voice. Uh, this is going to be kind of fun. Yeah, they, they did go big with the dub. Um, Terry, I want to say Terry's one of the weaker elements of the voice cast in the English dub. Um Funny enough, folks, um, Kyle watched this film with the English dub um, out of necessity, not not really by choice. Yeah. Um, not that it really made much of a difference, but uh, I'm very familiar with the dub for this film because, like I said, the first time I saw it was dubbed. Um, however, in preparation for what for this recording, I rewatched it in Japanese, but I know it both ways. Um, and Laucorn's voice in Japanese is typical, like... Uh, we talked about this on the Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust episode, the uh, Bishonen kind of voice, where he he has a little bit of a fey quality to him. He has a very silky tone to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very good performance, though, in English or Japanese. Although the English one, it's for ironic reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling Kyle uh, off air that his line delivery of every time he gets to say Terry Bogard's name, it's where every bad element of his his voice comes to the surface, where it comes up Terry. Bogard, Bogard, Bogard. <laughs> so there seems to be uh, I don't know how much of this is a pattern. I feel like Street Fighter, like 
maybe it was the Mortal Kombat movie um, making me think this way, but like I've I've always thought of Liu Kang as like the main person in Mortal Kombat, and that's probably from the film. Because in the game, I don't feel like he would be your first choice. Because that game's about like character design and like what the the characters are kind of capable of. Yeah, uh, Mortal Kombat, the first game, I want to say the story really took a backseat. Because um, you need to remember, the, the the game, until the home version came out, existed only in an arcade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only way you could learn the story is by beating the game and getting the ending slides. Or by watching the game idle. And, you know, every couple minutes they play demo footage of the game playing itself. And then they put up, like, a character slide with, like, a couple lines of text explaining who they are. Um, I want to Base- say he was. I want to say he was set up as the hero, but in terms of character design... He was the Asian fellow with the poofy black pants. Basically what you just Not told exactly me, thrilling. <laughs> what you just told me was that in order for you to know back when this was an arcade game, um, either way, you had awful parents because they either didn't give you enough money to, to play enough video games in the arcade that you're just watching the thing, or they give you so much money and just leave you in there that you can beat that whole thing and watch the slides. Correct. <laughs> Either way, you're fucked. <laughs> That's probably why they're like, we gotta, we gotta get a new console because we have to get this information out. But we don't want people to be bad parents. We we need we need to be you know at home playing this. <laughs> but yeah, I want to say the first Mortal Kombat game in the lore. Sure, Liu Kang is probably set up as the hero. He's the descendant of Kung Lao or whatever. Um, but in terms of like audience reaction to just that first game. I don't think there was many arrows pointing to him being like the guy you're supposed to pick. No, I feel um, like it would have been Scorpion or Sub Zero or Raiden or and Goro even. I mean, but you don't get to play with Goro yet. You can. You I only mean, can in fight the early to mid '90s, and there's two ninja guys. You th- yeah, Scorpion. You, who's and you gonna pick? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, clearly. Yeah. Um, now, Street Fighter, like, if you look at the, of all the dudes in there, I'm like, there's a lot of beefcakes, and there's a lot of medium-sized dudes. It's usually the medium-sized dude that's, like, the, that, that's who we're gonna, the average Joe that we're gonna be following is the story, but I feel like Street Fighter is a ton. Uh, in the movie, obviously, Jean-Claude Van Damme is the, is the main dude. Who's he playing in that? He's playing Colonel Guile. Guile, okay. Yeah, Guile, who... Um, my brother and I, um, I know my brother always wants to talk about this, but it is actually fascinating that you bring that up because uh, in in Japan, it was just totally understood that Ryu or Ryu, Ryu. as we as we know him here, uh, colloquially, uh, <laughs> is is the principal lead character of the Street Fighter franchise. Yeah, he's um, the he's the white dude with not blonde hair. That makes sense. Yeah. Well also like just from a design standpoint he's the, he's like the foundation of fighting game characters he's yeah. as vanilla as it gets yeah. um which is not a bad thing. he's, he's the, he, yeah he's the normal he's nobody's favorite but he's always safe like you yeah. can you can safely pick the red ranger or or ryu well, and feel comfortable handling him we can't follow a blonde man into battle trevor like that's why that's why the red ranger was the red ranger and the blue ranger the blonde guy was the blue ranger well, and he see, had glasses. That's where that's where I think you're a little bit wrong, at least at the time anyway. Is that my my brother and I I think we both have this have this uh, feeling that uh Guile was promoted to the main character in in America. Mm. Um because he definitely was pushed to the fore in the form of that movie where it's like why is Guile the main character? It's like, well, 
who's more marketable the the, the really generic karate man <laughs> or the guy that jean-claude van damme can uh maybe potentially play if we bleach his hair a little bit <laughs> and and uh paint tattoo a couple of american flags on his very belgian biceps <laughs> yeah um but yeah ryu or ryu is generally considered like the the main character of the street fighter franchise he's He's the most approachable character in the cast. And in Fatal Fury's case, uh, Terry has occupied that role. Although, unlike Ryu, um, he has a lot more personality. Um, and actually, Terry's one of my favorite video game, uh, well, fighting game characters, uh, just because he is so utterly ridiculous. Um, and his, his move set is exhausting. <laughs> it's like he has moves for fucking everything if, if he was in like mortal Kombat or something he would be obnoxious because he'd have an answer for everything um but his personality in the games uh widely deviates from from that of this film because in this movie he's kind of mopey mm-hmm. um but in the games he's like happy-go-lucky and uh he's basically japan's I- idea like the most basic and broad outline of an all-American person. <laughs> I mean, look at his his uh, character design. His color scheme is red, white, and blue. Yeah. Uh, he's he's blonde hair, blue eyed. He has a fucking star on his back, like a white star on a red vest. He honestly looks like he's about to start catching Pokemon. Like he does. Uh, yeah. He look- he looks like Ash Ketchum. Yeah. Um, and then all of everything he says, like most of his voice clips in the fighting games. Are in Eng- it's in English, mm-hmm. but bad English. So like all of his move names are in bad English. All of his win quotes are in bad link English. Do you can you give me an example? Uh, are you okay, Buster Wolf? Okay, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Okay, <laughs> stand up. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Now, you've mentioned something before. Um, we talked a little bit before we started recording. About Marvel, about the Marvel Universe. Um, specifically, I think Avengers um, Infinity War uh, reminds you a bit of this film. Yeah, um, I had a funny moment when I was in the theater watching Infinity War for the first time. Because um, this this movie, Fatal Fury the movie, uh, the motion picture rather, is very familiar to me. And so the whole time I was in the theater, I was like, hmm, structurally I'm, I, I'm getting a vibe here. This is familiar to me and seemingly not anyone else here in the theater but I, I had a little giggle to myself and I really thought about it and I was like yeah actually there are some similarities between Fatal Fury the motion picture and Infinity War <laughs> this has come up before I'm trying to remember we've talked about at least one other uh, movie I, I'm not including um, Godzilla and I think was the terror of Mecha Godzilla Mecha Godzilla Mecha Godzilla god damn it Mecha Mecha. 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 Mechanical. Mechanical. Yeah. I thought it was like the <laughs> Japanese pronunciation. Um, about how, well, that, like. Uh, you you want to know the Japanese pronunciation? Hmm. Meka. Meka. <laughs> Meka Godzilla. Um, where these um, movies came out uh, maybe around when we were kids, or maybe when we were a little bit older, or even recently, where. You're watching it and you're like, this seems pretty fresh and new. But then you go back and watch a movie from like the set, like from the 80s or like the 90s or something. And you're like, wow, this seems very familiar. Um, I feel like this is a blueprint. And I've, there's at least one example. I can't think of it right now where we're like, they definitely saw whatever this movie was before they started making this one. And I can't think of it right now. 
Well, I mean, it's a it's a familiar storytelling trope. This is a mm. treasure hunt film. Uh, we yes. probably didn't we probably didn't make that super clear, but this movie is definitely a treasure hunt film. Um, it's a race, and yes. at the same time, and Infinity Wars is, is as well. Yeah, uh, we're we're fighting over the Infinity Stones, and I think the most important detail in terms of structure has to do with uh, the party getting split up. Um, so basically, you have two or three groups of heroes um, spread out across the world or the galaxy or whatever, um, hunting for all these MacGuffins and whatnot. And you get that in both of these films. But, I mean, you also get that in things like The Empire Strikes Back, uh, where we aren't hunting for anything in particular, but our our group of heroes are separated f- throughout mm-hmm. almost the entire film. And then they all come together at a, a specific point. Um and yeah, it, it's essentially a treasure hunt film. Uh, I mean, you could you could like lump like Raiders of the Lost Ark or all the oh, Indiana yeah. Jones movies in there, and then like all the knockoffs of that, like Romancing the Stone to a lesser extent. Um, they don't have the same structural characteristics uh, as the ones I was just talking about, but yeah, basically it's just a, a mad dash to see who can grab all the goodies. I'm not saying that he would have made a better Indiana Jones, but I like Michael Douglas better, I think, in Romancing the Stone than I like uh, Indiana Jones as a character. I think that's by design. Because okay. uh, what I've always liked about Indiana Jones is how he's he's all bluster. Mm-hmm. Like That's actually my favorite part of him, is that he's, he never has a good plan. He just has the most basic of plans on the fly. He's very, yeah. he's very squirrely, and he gets away with he gets away with it. He just, yeah. He's very lucky, to be honest. Whereas Michael Douglas is kind of made to be roguish and charming. Mm-hmm. Whereas Indy, especially in Raiders, is kind of a dick, to be honest. Yeah, I think <laughs> he's that, a little abrasive. <laughs> yeah, Harrison Ford in general, I think is. I think that's just him in general. He's a little abrasive. I want to. I feel like in real life, probably the best word to describe him is is the. Is milk toast. <laughs> he he has a he has a nice little thing with uh, it was after Blade Runner twenty forty nine and they were he was on Graham Norton's show with uh, um, Ryan Gosling and I think Harrison Ford's a bit of a pot smoker uh, he's also kind of getting up there and uh, he's sitting on the couch with uh, Ryan Gosling and he keeps uh, he's sitting next to him and I think he's just messing with him but he's just like we were. Um, Ryan, Ryan and I were working on the on the movie, and he was like, and then Ryan, like he keeps like forgetting his name right in front of his face, <laughs> and I don't know if it was genuine or if like he was just fucking with him. I don't know, but it it was pretty funny watching him. Um, this is uh, this kind of suffers from the. We can't let him get the thing because once he gets the thing, he'll be unstoppable and there's nothing that we can do. But even when he gets the thing, we still find a way to stop him. <laughs> Does that kind of bother you? Like, I feel like it hasn't been done. Like, where we've actually, like, once the person gets it, they have all the power and we can't stop well, him. Well, um, Infinity War did it. Um, yeah. And this one Arguably. did it too. Um the only problem with Infinity War is the fact that it's, you know, part of a grand sprawling franchise that has no end in sight. So nobody for a fucking second <laughs> believed it was actually going to be the end. That's um, why I was furious with that ending. I'm just like, what the f- what? That's not an. Like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all that happened. I'm like, guys, 
it's there are more Black Panther movies. There are more Spider-Man movies. There are more movies to be had, guys. It's all going to be fine. No, I mean, that that's just an unfortunate consequence of the media climate that we live in, where we have too much access and we kind of... It's like... It's like opening your Christmas presents early a little bit, or at least like finding them in the closet before they've been wrapped. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, everybody that was paying attention to that franchise knew that Black Panther 2 is like in the the pre-production phase. And we've already gotten a trailer for the next Spider-Man movie. So Spider-Man dying in this movie, unless it takes place in the past or something, he's gonna come back. Has there (laughs) Um, ever been a movie that's made like well over like... Double its budget, like definitely made its money back and then some. Like actually made a shit ton of money that hasn't had a sequel. Like has that ever happened? Um, I mean, being as it's become fashionable to make sequels to twenty-five-year-old films, um, we're running out of them. <laughs> it's a it's a dying breed. I want to say. <laughs> I think Avatar. Like honestly, Avatar could have been that. Like it made a shit ton of money. And. I mean, Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke are both still alive. I would not be surprised <laughs> if we we get a Croatian or Bulgarian uh, uh, Marlboro Man. It? Yeah, uh, uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man too. <laughs> Electric oh. Boogaloo. <laughs> oh, Mickey Rourke doesn't look like a human being anymore. So I don't. They know like if... they like that in Eastern Europe. <laughs> no, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but um, to answer your question, though. Um, when I first saw this movie, and actually to this day, um, I do have to applaud it uh, in the same way I do Infinity War, where it's like, I know you're going to roll it back. Like, I know I know that this isn't the end of everything. Like, I know that the bad guy becoming un- omnipotent doesn't actually mean that he's going to you know, win the day completely, but they still let him do it. Yeah, they like, still, they still actually it. had him get all the things. They didn't have to do that. They could have stopped him before that. But no, they actually let him get all the things and do do what he sought to do. And then they rob him of it, which kind of sucks. But just the fact that they let him put, like, in a, in a Infinity War was assemble the Infinity Gauntlet. And this one, it's assemble the Army of, Armor of Mars. Like, just the fact that they let him put that last piece on and beat the shit out of everyone for a couple minutes, that meant something to me as a kid. Because mm. that was, like you said, it's kind of rare, actually, to yeah. have them get all the things and beat all the asses <laughs> um i'm trying to think now now that you've mentioned it i'm like yeah i think i was just so exhausted like those marvel <laughs> movies are just exhausting like once you get to the end of it you're like wait he did it you're like well fuck they did it uh i have to pee <laughs> so it's hard to like process it at the time because oh, that's all man, you can think yeah. about yeah i mean i I'm gonna be upfront. I think I said this on our uh, Endgame episode, but I actually did look up an article or two telling you when to pee because mm, yeah. I saw the runtime for that movie and I was like, "It's gonna happen. Like, it's unavoidable." So I may as well do some research as to when would be the most convenient time to do that. I'll actually give you. Uh, there's a few actors that you can actually use this uh, as like uh, a way to know when to use the bathroom. If Paul Rudd is in the movie and he's not a main character he's just kind of in the movie whenever he's on screen just go ahead you're not gonna miss anything yeah i think didn't didn't you that's like exactly pee? when i peed yeah when he was with his daughter yeah. in the beginning yeah, yeah. then I, I went did. i went um and you'll agree with me jeremy renner <laughs> if jeremy renner is in the movie and he's not the main character actually if he's is the main character you can just go pee at any time you're not missing anything it's like honey do you want me to pause it no 
That's fine. No. <laughs> Jeremy Renner. I'm going to go pee. It's like, is Renner on screen? Then it's fine. Unless it's the town. If you have, yeah, if, if it's the town, just watch it. Just pause, come back, watch the town. Okay, that's fair. Have you um, seen that one? Yeah, I have. Oh, thank God. Oh, man. What, Pete Postlethwaite's last role? Yeah, I really liked him in that movie. He's, he's great. He's mean in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. His, little, his little scene with him was pretty good. Um, but yeah, uh, so they did like, I kind of did like the pre-fight thing. That was kind of cool. Like, I wasn't sure what was happening in the film, like in the movie. Uh, this is after like, uh, Spicoli got his third piece of armor and it just kind of cuts to, I thought maybe it was like a bus station or something, but it's like black and white and all you can hear is like a, a pulsing like heartbeat over the track. And then, uh, dude's kind of like just breathing and they're like, oh, he's getting ready to fight. That's what's about to happen, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, um, not to stop things dead, but um, this is directed by Masami Obari, uh, who is largely a character designer as far as I know. Um, sometimes an animator, sometimes director of anime, like TV shows and OVAs, but this is his only feature film that he's directed. Mm. Um, I think he actually has some, some interesting stylic stylistic approaches to how he, he does a film um, his transitions are really cool um, they're very coordinated there's a lot of objects crossing in front of the camera to take us to new scenes there's a lot of like film school 101 kind of shit where we zoom into one character's eye to emerge from another character's eye mm. or we have a character look wistfully off into the sky and then say a character's name and then the next shot is that character on yeah. screen um but then this kind of stuff was really cool, where this whole scene was done in grayscale. Um, there's two or three instances of that in this film. Um, there's a, a scene where Terry's dying, there's a dream sequence, and then there's this, where there's a guy who's in the back of a locker room uh, getting ready for a Muay Thai fight. Um, this is Joe Higashi, uh, who is one of my favorite characters from the Fatal Fury games. Uh, he's a hot-blooded uh, Japanese bantamweight uh, Thai boxer. Um, he has some of the best voice acting in the in the King of Fighters and uh, Fatal Fury games, and uh, he's one of the more fun characters in this movie and outside of it, just because he's 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 loud, he's braggadocious, he has character. I just um, noticed. Sorry, I just noticed you're getting a little bit Doc Brown in your hair because you haven't had your hair cut during quarantine. <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> folks at home, uh, you can't see it, but I have made a little bit of a commitment to not cut my hair um during the whole covid situation and it's like serving as a visual indication of how bad shit has gotten <laughs> you should <laughs> just not even in the morning now <laughs> just no, wake up and I, go well i mean i can't it, i essentially have a fro <laughs> I know. i've seen your college pictures yeah with your with your big mop of hair yeah it it gets bigger than this so we'll see if we get there but um yeah uh this scene actually was one of the one of the first I think it was where I came into the movie I actually missed the very first part of it when I put it on on TV um, and the music that plays during his ring walk um, Kyle story time uh, do you recall the very first mp3 you ever downloaded no because I did not have an mp3 player I was Neither did I. I only yeah. had a computer. Yeah, I didn't even have a computer growing up. Um, let's see here. No, I, I cannot tell you. 
I don't okay. think well, I've ever I, I can, and it was it was this music. Ah, gotcha. I, f- I found like a GeoCities page mm-hmm. <laughs> that had some had like the the soundtrack, the CD of the soundtrack for this film uh, ripped to it, and you could download all the individual files. And I remember asking for my parents' posi- like permission, can I download this? Because I'd never downloaded anything yeah. before, and I had to ask them. They I don't think they knew, but they're like. like is it going to break the computer? I was like, I don't know. Maybe. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, his ring walk music was, I, I want to say, the first MP3 I ever downloaded. Gotcha. Um, and the soundtrack for this film is one of my... It's special to me. I really like it. It's composed by uh, Toshihiko Sahashi, who does... Uh, he's he's done a lot of uh, anime, um, but he's also done like all my favorite things, like Gundam and... Common Rider and Ultraman, <laughs> ah. uh, so he's 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 had a long career and he has he has a nice sound. Um, anyway. um, the one of the characters, there's like I thought there was three blonde characters because there was a guy in the crowd with glasses, and immediately I thought of uh, Ringo from the Lone Gunman, the X Files trio of guys. Um, but the um, the putties, the uh, the goons in this movie, like. They, they're kind of at the top a little bit, but they are really inconsequential to what's happening in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they're here, to be honest. Are um, they things? Are they something from the video game? Or are these absolutely just... not. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, the, the masked army is what they're called in this movie, and they are literally the putty patrol. Mm. Um, they show up just to be cannon fodder in exactly two scenes. Uh, no, three scenes. Yeah. Um, they don't do anything, and at some point we even get a throwaway piece of dialogue saying, like, don't use them anymore, they're too conspicuous. It's like, oh, the, the guy with the golden mask and the big fucking feather coming out of his head? Yeah. Like, that's not cons- that's <laughs> They're too conspicuous. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure, with the lady with her butt hanging out of her uh, her oh. Spice Girls pants. Like, like she's not conspicuous at all. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask about Terry. Like, why did they choose... So Terry's girlfriend, I guess, died in front of him, uh, or wife, or whatever she was. Um, but who's the girl with the purple hair? Sulia. Yeah, she is dry humping his face um, in this movie. Not literally. That's not him. Oh, that. Thank you. That just reminded me, Trevor. There is a video of a, a future neckbeard. He's not quite to neckbeard. He's like in high school, maybe, maybe college. He is giving an interview at some kind of anime uh thing like convention and the guy's like so what is hentai and and he's explaining what it is and the guy i don't know if he's trolling this kid or what he's like what what would you say what what would be your perfect hentai and this kid's like oh man so (laughs) he gives an explanation (laughs) it's so funny i'll have to find it and send it to you but that 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 reminded me of it um but yeah she's like (laughs) she is all over him in a way, like, kind of. Like, it, he's not picking up what she's putting down. Thank you. Yeah, that's quite accurate. Um, yeah. So, one thing that is largely responsible for me getting out of the anime game, like, I really have pretty the much walked game. away from it outside of, uh, outside of like, Gundam, um, which I will show the fuck up for. Yeah. Um, Universal Century specific. <laughs> I don't just I don't I don't eat anything I don't eat just anything that gets put in front of me. It's got to be very specific. I have a palate, goddammit. It's an educated palate. Um, but largely, what got me out of it was um, tropes, man. Like mm-hmm. anime is just tropes left and right. Um, 
I mean, that's a really, you know, I'm I'm casting a wide net here, but like a lot of like the like more consumer grade like mainstream stuff tends to lean very heavily on tropes and you have characters like Sulia who fit a template it's like she's the precious pretty princess girl who's mm-hmm. like utterly precious uh will pretty much her heart will pretty much give out if a stiff wind blows in her direction well um, um and she she never swears she she bows in a in western environment she's not actually japanese um mm-hmm. but she behaves like a stereotypical like subservient young japanese woman ah gotcha so she's an ideal she's not she's a an outline of a person not an actual person which leads me to my follow-up question what is with the eyes now am i while i was watching this i'm like oh maybe it's just the the women in anime that have the big giant eyes and then like i was looking at the this uh scene where she's talking she's sitting next to uh i think it's terry or the other guy who's the other the brother andy Andy. She's sitting next to Andy, and like her eyes are like half of her head, and he looks just normal, just regular, normal eyes. Is it usually just women that are have the giant eyes, or is this just a particular instance here? So that is a... Uh, this is turning into an interview. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a documentary. Um, yeah. that That is very designer-specific. Um, so everybody has their own uh, general school of character design. Um, like there's the Studio Ghibli or Ghibli, uh, mm-hmm. the sometimes called like the Miyazaki style, where everybody has kind of like rounded, kind of like pudgy features, and like if if you see one of their characters, you know which animation house made it. Mm-hmm. Um, even even Madhouse has some has some things that they do with their animation tricks and stuff. Um, this guy though, uh, Masami Obari, uh, he's unique. Um, his character designs are fucking weird. <laughs> like I don't even know that I like them. In fact, I feel like they're kind of repulsive, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, in general, uh, his designs are very easy to spot. Um, so the characters, like the way they're designed in this film, carries over to his other projects independent of it. And uh, yeah, uh, generally his ladies have the gigantic fucking eyes. Um, in most uh, anime boobs. productions, um, and and the boobs. Um, even if it makes, even if it doesn't make sense, um, <laughs> but uh, his his ladies usually have giant eyes, and uh, his dudes tend to have really angular, almost like insectoid kind of features. Yeah. Um, and they also almost always have like a swimmer's build. Um, yes. So they have they have they're a slightly tall. like androgynous quality to them, um, but they're still like beefy. Yeah. Um, so it's like he's designing for everybody. <laughs> like actually, everyone was, sex for everyone. <laughs> I was looking at Terry, I'm like looking at my I'm like, how do you get those biceps that are like like lean but they're like going over your tricep? I'm like, how do you get that? How do you get that? Uh, by the way, uh, when uh, when people started complaining that uh, Barbie uh, had just unrealistic body, like, oh my god, the the Barbies have like just unrealistic body image for girls. I'm like, there's some kind of Japanese animator who's just like hold my sake. Uh, <laughs> you're about to see something crazy. No, I mean some some you know Instagrammer with a waist trainer is saying hold my beer. Yeah, <laughs> no not, we got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like science found a way. <laughs> yeah, some of these like uh, like some of the animation. I'm just like they're like I can just hear the heavy breathing uh, while they're drawing some of this stuff. I've honestly. I, 
it's pretty tame, I would say. Like, uh, I feel like it could get much worse, and without going into hentai. Yeah, um, he's he's done stuff that's a lot more explicit than this. Mm. Um, what I think makes this slightly more socially acceptable is the the attitude. Um, is that yes, it there is gratuitous nudity. Yes, there's a lot of bouncing. <laughs> but um, but it it's never done in like a a mean way or like a a degrading way it's more just like kind of fun and it yeah. helps too that the the character who's principally you know the focal point of all the, the gratuitous nudity my um she's pretty fucking okay with most of it. Like, yeah. like she's generally pretty upbeat and she's okay with it in fact like i think that's like a uh, one of the design team like the game designer like I think one of the design team actually went on record trying to back up their designs where it's like, oh, no, she uses it to distract her opponents. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like you, know, you just wanted to draw her. Dude, like, so you wanted to draw every frame of her. <laughs> uh, we, I rewatched and Steph watched for the first time Interview with a Vampire. I was kind of on a Brad Pitt kick. I just rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, you know what? It's time. I think we should watch. Uh, uh, interview with the vampire by the way might be my new favorite tom cruise uh tom cruise movie <laughs> oh wow he's have you seen interview with the vampire i have not actually oh man he is a, a real campy lestat oh it's a lot of fun um i it's, mean I, I do like campy performances generally and antonio's in there right uh yeah oh He's in there. This, Good Antonio. <laughs> this, it, it's worth it. Honestly, that might be something I would put on the list for us to watch because I think it's it's definitely worth a conversation. Uh, but there is a moment where I mean, because it takes takes place in the South, it takes place in New Orleans for the most part in the French Quarter, and they're walking ruffles, with, ruffles forever, <laughs> very much. Uh, Tom Cruise doesn't lose his ruffles; he stays in that same outfit the entire time. Uh, but there is a moment where there's just um, a lady butt naked, like taking a bath like just in a doorway basically like she's just kind of got the door cracked i'm like wait a minute was that a thing with like with the french corner was it just naked ladies kind of just taking showers there i mean if, if everybody's okay with it like, <laughs> like, well, he comments on it too like in the movie he's like oh just what i was looking for a french girl like, so, <laughs> I'm like oh, interesting wrong uh, decade the jumping around like the uh so this, like you said, this is kind of a treasure hunt kind of movie, uh, where they're you know just trying to, they're they're Indiana Jonesing, they're trying to beat him to the punch basically, um, but we get these different like we go to like Germany, we go to Iraq, I think there's a couple more, but we don't really do anything in these areas to the point where it's like, do we really need to be jumping across countries to do all this? Um, yeah, I want to say that this is like a. A fault of the the budget or the planning for the film mm. uh, because a lot of these locations are represented by like landmarks that background paintings of landmarks mm. and whatnot yes. in in these respective cities and whatnot like i think they go to turkey and iraq and thrace and macedonia egypt all, all over the place and um unfortunately we don't really explore these environments very much we just yeah. kind of like shack up at a hotel have some fan service and then like i said background paintings of a landmark or two and then maybe fisticuffs maybe not um so yeah in terms of like actually exploring these environments actually making use of of the onset location or whatever we don't get a whole lot of that 
Um, so it comes across as kind of like we're just bouncing around just for the sake of bouncing around. Why don't you have them like go to like Thailand and have somebody get into like a, a, a kickboxing fight or something? Yeah, I mean that fun. that probably would have made sense. Although, um, I I do like some of the art in this movie because there's it needs to be said um, the story and most of the most of the like central figures in the story like Sulia and Laucorn all the all the bad guys literally all the bad guys um, they were manufactured specifically for this movie. Oh, they're not they're not even hinted at in any of the games, so they're they're isolated to just this. Um, and when you take when you take that into account and you think about like all the art assets and all the design work that went into you know building this lore and like building the all the temple ruins and even the design of the armor pieces and whatnot i think that shit's pretty fucking cool looking like i really like the look of the armor um before he puts it on like all the sar- sarcophagi <laughs> or sarcophaguses yeah. um it's like a whatever limb that it's attached to done in like marble mm-hmm. with like a an iron nail put through it and then it has like metal beads on it it just looks really cool it looks genuine like it looks like an actual ancient relic of some sort um, um the, but what, on, I, what i was getting at is that um they set the story in the mediterranean so we're kind of like doing the whole circuit hmm. at one point they're like they find a box and they're like yeah the armor was taken by genghis khan and uh it was it's somewhere in china now like which i thought was like oh really is that why he was so strong or did he get <laughs> all the way there after everything and just like yeah i just got it now i think that's it. actually what they're trying to imply uh, gotcha. because they do say that like alexander the great was in conflict with the original owner of the armor and then uh, one thing that they do that's kind of interesting that again is a complete divergence from the video games um and this probably was a little muddled for you um is that when they first enter the it's the well of souls like from raiders of the lost ark you know where he has the rod and yeah. uses it to find the location it's literally that just in this movie uh, so they go into that chamber on the island of rhodos or Rhodes or colossus of Rhodes, i think um I think it's Rhodes. <laughs> they pronounce it, it's they say it in Japanese Rhodos, so it's hard to say. But um, they go to the Well of Souls, and the first thing that they point out is that there's like the equivalent of like hieroglyphics or cave paintings depicting um, people doing martial arts poses from multiple schools um, that all the characters have familiarity with. Um, one is the school that Andy and Terry come from, and then one is from the school that the villain of the second OVA. Uh, Wolfgang Krauser does he's from Germany um, which factors into why they need to globetrot is that the original location of the armor pieces um, doesn't work out so they have to find out who who took the armor pieces um, and it as it so happens those martial arts techniques following the lineage of those martial arts um, is what leads them to the armor pieces where it's like oh uh, the founder of that German martial art had the piece of armor and it probably made him super strong or something and he you know shared his secrets uh in germany and then the other one went to china and whatnot so there's some neat mythology building there gotcha um terry gets pwned quite a bit in this movie uh to the point where i just stopped taking notes i said terry is useless uh uh to the point where how does he redeem himself uh he wins the day like he he's he's the guy that he hits the two home runs that need to be hit. Other yeah. than that, he strikes out every at bat. <laughs> um, it's kind of similar to Captain America in that first Avengers movie, where he's mm-hmm. the odd man out, 
I understood that reference. Um, and then he's not useful until the very end when they need to like mobilize. Is he? Um, okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but um that that's actually a, a funny stylistic difference um from this and other action anime is that i can't say that this like uh is the case in all of this director's works but in this movie in particular the way combat is staged it's kind of similar to vampire hunter d where there's very few blows exchanged but all of them are consequential for the most part it's like you know one or two hits and that's like oh he got fucked up that's yeah. kind of it which is kind of surprising because like the street fighter 2 anime it's like the complete opposite it's like a it's like a hong kong martial arts scene from the 90s which is like <laughs> for like for like five no 20 minutes <laughs> just like flipping and kicking off of everything in sight Rewatching once upon a time in hollywood that's now that i've seen a bruce lee movie watching that scene with him like i think it's a daydream but uh that scene with him and bruce lee it it was so much better now that i've actually seen a bruce lee movie i i found it very entertaining Uh, i like (laughs) i like the way they uh they try to stay faithful to the cinematography of a bruce lee movie at least Mm. in the in the first stanza of it where it's all one shot and like everybody's shot from like the knees up and um yeah i i Brad from the Cinema Speak pointed out to me that pretty sure that that is like, if not a daydream, at least just his interpretation of the story, as yeah. opposed to what actually happened. But it's cool that it's there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also nice that- um, I'm gonna derail things completely because you brought it up. Um, I saw a fan theory uh, on the Twitter the other day about the end of that movie. Uh, spoiler alert: If you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, actually, it's not too much of a spoiler alert, but this person's theory was are Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio dead at the end of the movie? Hmm. And I don't remember the end. I don't remember the events of the ending well enough to say either way, but, um, uh, it's very possible. So now that you mentioned it, he does get stabbed in the leg. Brad Pitt gets stabbed in the leg, which you can um, very easily die of. <laughs> now there's a thing. Well, there earlier Leo's learning his lines. Uh, for not bounty killer that show's already over. Um, he he's learning his lines and he's got like an electric rate, like a electric tape player, in the pool. So I mean, it's not hooked up to electricity, but it's battery operated. And maybe back then, I don't know. It's very possible he could have just electrocuted himself. It, it's very possible. Um, now I think it was just like uh, historical fiction because Tarantino's done it before with Inglorious Bastards. I guess. I mean, I. I want to say that it's a straight story. Like, there's not yeah. any total total recallism going on there at the end. Um, although you could argue that given the flamethrower, but um, they they had a couple of screenshots and it it made you think because there is that shot of Brad Pitt looking at him through the ambulance and like the curtains look like it looks like he's in a hearse and we're mm-hmm. at a funeral kind of. And then the two have such a symbiotic relationship that it's like, can they really make it without each other? <laughs> I really do love that movie, and it might be my favorite Tarantino movie now. I don't think I'm um, alone. It's a very, very good hangout movie, and I, I only got to hang out with myself when I was watching it, so that's a strong statement. <laughs> I had some uh, some MGDs, or some Miller High Lifes. That's the perfect way to watch that movie. With, I feel uh, like the way you need to watch that movie is, um, regardless of what beer you are drinking, it needs to be opened on the edge of a table. 
Conk. I was going to ask you, uh, also, we're not quite back on the rails here. Um, I was going to ask you, because you said that it's pretty much just like a one-two. Like, the hits are pretty concise. Like, we're not punching and punching and punching. Um, have you ever... I know you uh, used to box for a while. Um, have you ever been hit in the liver? Because Bass Rutten was doing, like, a video. I'm like, oh, here's how you fuck somebody up by hitting them in the liver. And uh, I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even think about that as a tactic. Have you been hit in the liver? And if not... What is it supposed to feel like? Because I have a feeling it hurts a lot. Um, I have been hit in the liver. Uh, I did have to take a knee. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a little bit electric. Like you do feel it in your in your hands and your feet. Oh, really? And uh, I want to say it's akin to like being hit in the solar plexus, where your abdomen seizes up. Oh, it's gotcha. like you try to draw breath and the muscles don't respond. Gotcha. Um, so it it induces panic for sure. No um, kidding. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> it sucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really awful. Um, if you want, if you want, uh, a very no, I don't want you to punch me in the liver. No, <laughs> thank you God, for asking. God, <laughs> um, one of my favorite uh, examples of what it looks like is uh, watch Oscar De La Hoya get a liver shot against Bernard Hopkins. Mm. Um, he goes down and he throws a tantrum on the mat like a child because his body won't listen to him. No because kidding. He, he's conscious throughout the whole thing, but he just can't get up. No kidding. And he is he was pissed after he recovered because that's that's almost worse than being knocked unconscious because David Hoya landed it? No, no, he received it. Oh. <laughs> Liver shot. Oh, damn, it popped up really quick. I see it. Oh, yeah. No, it's a it's a very good example of what that can do to you. Gotcha. It I'll, watch that. I'll watch that. I got it. Um, I, was, I had another question. Have, have oh. we found the rails yet, Kyle? I think we found the rails because I was going to ask you about a particular character in here. Uh, Andy and my, uh, Mia, my, whoever it my. is, my. Like, they're barely in this. I mean,. Arguably, they're barely She's in it. She's <laughs> in it, yeah. Andy is barely in it. Uh, but he also looks so much like uh, Terry that it's like, well, he's in it, basically. Uh, Andy is a... Oof. He's a rough character. Um, so there's always going to be a weak link, and Andy's it. Um, so in Dragon Ball terms, you have Goku and you have Vegeta. He's built um, like a tight end. How is he the... That's it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Not Not weak in that sense. Um, but actually, maybe a little bit. So maybe Goku bit. and Vegeta have this this story going where Vegeta's the best character in Dragon Ball, just straight up. Um, and what makes him fascinating is that he's always a number two to Goku. Mm. So he's, he's introduced as a prideful character of high society ranking. He's also like unchallenged in terms of physicality. He's on top of the world. Then he meets Goku, a commoner who beats his ass and changes his outlook on life completely. He's like, okay, that can happen now. Um, so forevermore, Vegeta is chasing Goku. Where he's like, I need to be better than him because I was born better than him. It's my birthright to be better than him. Gotcha. He's grown and changed since then, but traditionally that's their story arc. In Terry and Andy's case, Terry's always going to be number one. Uh, he's always going to be the hero character. But Andy's always going to be there. <laughs> and it's like... No, but I don't think Andy's anyone's favorite. Like, I, I always say that, that every character is someone's favorite. I don't think Andy's anyone's favorite. Oh, um, no, he's like the other Murray brother. Brian his, Doyle Murray. No, what's the other Bro one? 
<laughs> no, Brian Doylemore is okay. It's, um, I actually, know who you're talking about. I, he's on Mad Men, and I actually I like him a little bit better, better than uh, Brian Doyle. So all the Murrays are winners? <laughs> Basically, it goes one, three, two, in my opinion. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so in Fatal Fury, uh, the three heroes, and you actually got to pick from all three of them, even in the arcade mode, was they were, they were the only characters you could play as in the first game was Terry, Andy, and Joe. Um, Joe was usually my favorite, although Andy, uh, Terry was my favorite character design, but Andy just sucked because <laughs> Andy's moves suck. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with, um, I think, he's the leftovers. Got so, so Terry has his moves, Joe has his moves, and then Andy is like an example of, well, what kind of moves can we give him? It's like, well, whatever the other two don't have... And he his moves hit from weird angles. Like you probably noticed, he does a lot of like mule kicks off the ground, where mm-hmm. he does he like he does like a handstand and kicks up into the air. Yeah, it's like what what the fuck kind of sense does that make? <laughs> and then like he does like a running elbow, and then he throws not fireballs, <laughs> but like yeah, a running elbow. That's like have Lex you, Luger's finishing move from wrestling. Have you ever seen uh, Nothing to Lose with Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence? I have not. I don't like Martin Lawrence as as a comedic actor. I just he doesn't really do it much for me. But it is his best movie. It's fucking hilarious. He ends up he tries to rob um, Tim Robbins, who's just walked in on his wife cheating on him. So he's basically like suicidal at this point. So he basically kidnaps him, and they get into a fight. Now, if you've seen Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence, Martin Lawrence is about five five. Tim Robbins is about six five. <laughs> Um, but Tim Robbins does not know how to fight, and he goes to goes to fight him. So he goes, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> he's basically leading with his elbow as a fist, and it's pretty funny. Yeah, he's he's always good when you let him be a goofball. Um, yeah. Even even Howard the Duck, he's he's having some fun. Um, so folks at home that couldn't see it, Kyle was basically doing a tomahawk motion with with yes, his elbow with extended elbow. <laughs> like a chopping motion with his elbow um but yeah andy is a uh, his story with my and uh this is translates to the second ova and this movie and the games even is that my absolutely adores him and he's always cold like he's mm. just he's just a cold fish um I, I don't know if he has anything going on in there but um <laughs> I, it it makes for fun storytelling in this movie because like she's on his arm in every dialogue scene and pretty much every time she pushes it a bit too far he either rolls his eyes or like finds an excuse to return some videotapes um, my my favorite instance is in their hotel room which has really lovely jazz music playing in the uh, background by the way wasn't sure where this scene was going to go i was kind of hoping it was going where i wanted it to go and actually that's why i think this movie is slightly more socially acceptable because yes we do get a gratuitous shower scene even mm-hmm. the street fighter 2 animated movie has that um it's just what you do um it's just but you do. <laughs> with with female characters in a japanese animated film but instead of taking it any further we we make it into a comedy bit yeah where she comes out of the shower and she hops in bed and she's like hey you know the only hotel we could rent was a single bed one hey you know andy like you want to hop in bed and he has to return some videotapes. He's like, uh, I'm going to do some push-ups do some, uh, yeah. and then crash on the couch. And I'm going to do a workout and crash on the couch. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, don't wait up. <laughs> it's just this fun little comedy bit where it's like, 
any other person on the planet would probably be like, okay. Uh, but no, he's Andy, so he, he's like, no, I'm I am an American ninja, god damn it. <laughs> like, I have priorities. She does have a nice beat here. She's like, oh, that, I was like, that's okay. You probably wouldn't wake me up anyway. I'm a deep sleeper. And she's like, her yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah, I like that she, like, she has her eyes open in bed and she, like, giggles. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's like, like okay, go Super to excited. Like, Try it. <laughs> yeah, no, she... She's a fun character. Andy Andy works well playing off of her, but outside of his relationship to my, there's nothing there. <laughs> we were talking earlier of like the missed opportunity. Uh, there's a character in here who's a DJ, and I thought he looked exactly like Polly Shore's character from a Goofy movie, uh, Bobby. Uh, he has like a uh, like John Lennon circle sunglasses with uh, a mohawk and like uh, hoop earrings. Who's uh who's Letterman's uh music music guy? Um, oh, from Paul Schaefer? Is it Paul Schaefer? Yeah, I want to say it's I want to say it's Schaefer or okay. Schrader or something. Are you thinking of sunglasses? Yeah, it's Paul those Schaefer. Kind of, the, yeah, those glasses. Um, yeah. The only thing I remember from like from that character in a Goofy movie is uh like the cheese whiz. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like man, I really wish they would have just. This would have made the this would have been a home run if they would have cast Polly Shore as the DJ, and he would have done it perfectly because it's the he has the same energy. The character has the exact same energy. Yeah, uh, the character Kyle's referring to is Duck King. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fucking Duck King, um, who uh, is introduced for one scene. This is pure fan service. Um, it extends even to boobs because um, my hops on the stage later, but. Um, He's opening a club called the King of Dancing, and the whole reason we go here is because we're looking for Master Jubei, who is a pervert because he's an old. He's a lecher because he's an old man in a Japanese film. Um, so we need to go to the nightclub to find him to find out where the armor is. Um, but yeah, the the nightclub's called King of Dancing, which is a a nod to the King of Fighters franchise that spilled over into Fatal Fury. Anyway, Duck King is a breakdance fighter. And uh, he's a bad guy from the Fatal Fury games. He's been in it from the beginning. Uh, this is also where we get introduced to uh, Billy. I think it's pronounced Khan, but it's spelt Kane. Mm. Um, but he's a he's a uh, punk rock uh, bow staff user. That was also one of my favorite character designs from the very first game. I was kind of obsessed with him for a bit. Um, he wears a like Kirk Douglas patterned like. Uh, white and red striped uh, bandana on his head mm. and uh in his first appearance he had like a, a wife beater and like boots but as as uh, the games went on he became more and more punk rock to the point they gave him the maybe the coolest music for like a fighting game character at one point it is pretty fucking cool it's like shredding guitars but they put like a a union jack on his back and gave him a leather jacket and an earring and stuff <laughs> Um, I was kind of hoping because this kind of suffered from the Vampire uh, Hunter D thing where it's like the beginning, uh, well actually the beginning is not even, um, the beginning and end of ha Vampire Hunter D are kind of cool, like you get introduced kind of to the world but the rest of the movie it's like daytime and we're just like in Utah. Here it's like it's pretty much real real, real world and then at the end we're at like some kind of uh, outworld temple kind of thing. <laughs> it has begun! <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it is glorious. It is glorious. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brian Thompson. Yes. It would have been more fun if it was uh, more of this setting, like the Outworld setting. 
Yeah, um, I like the design of the temple when they go there with Sulia earlier in the film. That's a fun little bit where we have like her narrating the story of her family history and like the beef with her brother and stuff. And then uh, we take a like a speedboat into this under undersea tunnel and we get to do some spelunking and whatnot. It's, it's yeah. really cool, actually. Like it's designed well, and then we get the Well of Souls room. Um, but then in between that, no, we're basically just in the real world doing explosive martial arts moves on, <laughs> on the rooftops of Germany. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, the, the the temple set at the end of the movie, um, I, I agree with you. I would have liked to have seen more, th- more of that, especially because it looks pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the design of the statue where the last piece of armor is housed is awesome because it's like a it's like a, a man with his, his hands bound behind his back screaming, and he's looking directly into the camera. And then there's like four people uh, standing on top of different parts of his body, stabbing him with swords, with like a, a pike going up through his torso. And that's not what you want. And he's wearing... Yeah, <laughs> that's not what you want. <laughs> um, and he's wearing like the last piece of armor on his head. So it's like on a marble statue. And it's, it's designed beautifully. But it's was it worth it? <laughs> no, no, it, it's not. It's one of those things where it's like, I feel like that's a really common thing with animation, in particular Japanese animation, where it's like, was this was was the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> Be, no, because I mean, I, I told you about this when we were watching uh, Ghost in the Shell. Uh, that director, Mamoru Oshii, he gets criticized sometimes where it's like the way you direct your animated films is the way a live action director directs their films why not just shoot it in live action it would be a lot less labor intensive (laughs) it's like it would spare a lot of perverts their wrists (laughs) but but it's one of those things where it's like no i'm gonna do it the hard and silly way instead just because that's what i want do you think there's like a group of animators like uh quint and uh richard dreyfus and and uh uh, roy scheider just like comparing scars but they're just like all the times they've broken their wrists drawing titties (laughs) and like yeah this was uh back in 93 i was drawing titties on a movie didn't actually even get released but uh yeah snapped right there you can hear the creaking yeah, still little little shards of graphite embedded in their palms and you know yeah. the the big head of head of the animation house has to indoctrinate people by like come here you've got city hands mr hooper <laughs> or they start showing them like yeah this uh or they keep showing themselves like yeah this is when i burnt my sack with uh ramen i can't remember if it was uh tonkatsu what was that one i just can't think of what it was it was a really was... good one i was really upset to spill it but yeah it just i can't even grow hair down there now uh, it's ufo brand and, <laughs> and it's like come back when you've drawn ten thousand titties son <laughs> it's like... when did you get gout when when did you get gout 32 pussy (laughs) what's your sodium intake what's your sodium intake like (laughs) three thousand percent five thousand percent what are we talking here how many cigarettes do you how many packs do you smoke a day i feel like (laughs) being an animator like man culturally i feel like it'd be a lot of fun for me because like if i could just sit in a room smoking cigarettes um eating and drinking things that are bad for me i mean that that's the that's the dream I just don't yeah. have the artistic ability. Yeah, folks at home, um, if you're curious, look up the Twister episode because Kyle gives. <laughs> if I remember right, that's when you talk about like 
my dream an job. Ide- yeah, an ideal yeah. like job situation for mm-hmm. you, like live, living with a, a crew where everybody shows up and smokes. And I <laughs> did figure out that there is a time period that I'm allowed to do this in because I watched the conversation. And who was that? He had like six movies. He's in Deer Hunter, uh, the first two Godfather movies. Uh, he was uh, Dog Day Afternoon. He was friends with Al Pacino, and that's how I think it's how he got got into acting. He was, I think, either married or I think he was married to Meryl Streep or even dating her. But he died of lung, like uh, I think lung cancer or something very very young. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I knew this off the top of my head, but his name is John Cazale. There we go. Um, he's in the conversation. By the way, he like. I think 100% of his filmography are just like out of the park films, but he just died too young for him to like do bad movies. Um, I seem to remember hearing that I think every movie he made was nominated for an Oscar or something yeah. or won. Deer Hunter, the first two Godfather movies, The Conversation, uh, and then Dog Day Afternoon, and there's one more in there I'm sure that I'm missing. Um, but yeah, he they're doing uh, surveillance in that film in the very beginning, and it looks fucking cold in that van because they have to you know have the van off and no heater. It's like in the seventies, so I'm like, uh, that's I'm not feeling that. I need nineties. I need we've got a heater, a fan, and I can smoke in here, and the coffee's a little bit better. So you don't want to shack up with John Cazale. You want to hang out with Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez. Mm, uh, <laughs> Emilio, not Dreyfus. I I would end up flicking my cigarette at Dreyfus. <laughs> like, Shut take a hike, mi- take up. a hike, Mister Holland. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, you tiny little man. <laughs> now I know why Quint wanted to drown your ass. Um, uh, yeah. Um. There was, I had another, uh, something, there was, a, I was going to pivot here. Uh, I was going to ask you, like, I, I liked the ending of Vampire Hunter D, and mm-hmm. um, I was pretty checked out at the end of this, but I was, like, kind of engaged. How, how did you feel about the end of this? Because I feel like it was probably the best part of the movie. Um, so there's a phenomenon that happens in wrestling sometimes uh, that is called the Parade of Finishers. Um, I don't know if that's an official name, but I've heard it in conversation. That happens in porn, too. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the parade of finishers in wrestling terms is essentially... It usually happens in, like, tag team matches or battle royale circumstances where you have a lot of bodies in the ring all at once and not a whole lot of time to go around. Uh, So to make everyone's appearance count, and this is why I say everything is wrestling, uh, you see this in like marvel movies and stuff too where basically to to make the fans pop uh in order to like have a fan service moment like spider-man showing up you don't just have spider-man show up you have spider-man swing in quip and do some spider-man shit and then it's okay if he's not in the rest of the movie he showed up and did his spider-man thing Mm -hmm. um so the parade of finishers is basically like okay all of you get 10 seconds to make an impact and then you got to roll out of the ring because mm-hmm. we got to let john cena have all the spotlight because he's yes. john cena i mean i mean he has hair now so you know we don't care as much but <laughs> <laughs> like pretend he has the crew cut anyway anyway like the parade of finishes is basically all the guys come out and do the one signature move that everybody knows them for mm-hmm. and then it doesn't matter if they do anything more because they did the one thing they're known for and the end of this movie, the final battle, where, uh, spoiler alert, does assemble the armor of Mars and, in his own words, becomes a god. 
very ineffectual, not very powerful god, but a god nonetheless. Um, all the heroes assemble, um, and Terry, Andy, Joe, and Mai all just do. They go through their entire move list <laughs> ineffectually, but they still try. It's like it's like Sigourney Weaver in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> it's like I have one job on this ship. It's stupid, but all, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> then all of a sudden you hear church bells, and you're like, "Oh shit, Undertaker's <laughs> here!" Or was that Kane who had the church bells? Uh, that would be the Undertaker. Okay, it wasn't the Undertaker. What was Kane's yeah. music? Uh, he would open with an explosion. The oh, fire columns, fucking... and then <laughs> oh shit, stone cold. Here. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Legion of Doom. I think they had one of my favorites was uh, what a rush. Yeah, yeah pretty bitching. I, I want to say that like one of our radio stations co-opted that at some point. Oh like, fuck them! Like like Kiss One Hundred Six like wanted that but they did their own version of it so he mm. they don't say what a rush but the but i think no was it the down with the sickness Ugh. i think they took the <laughs> they probably did yeah that was a big that was huge for radio <laughs> the 2000s. that was well, huge i mean soundboard was your best yeah. buddy in the world um but um funny enough lod their uh doomsday device their finishing move uh it's in Fast and Furious Six, and it made me so happy in the theater. Of oh, Vin cool. Diesel and The Rock, do it, do it, dude. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I that's that's like a that's like a tip of the hat uh, from The Rock. That's pretty cool. Uh, I have a story about Legion of Dune, real quick. Um, so uh, th- they were popular when I watched wrestling for a year as a kid. Literally, it was just a year of me watching wrestling, um, and uh, they were doing a show at Robert Stadium in Evansville. And my sister and her now husband, but her boyfriend at the time, were staying at the hotel that a lot of the wrestlers were. Um, and this was either, like, maybe early in the day, and, like, I think the LOD were headed to the stadium, but they were in their makeup, like, fully decked out. And these dudes are big, like, big beefcakes. And uh, my sister and my brother like her husband are just sitting there and he just comes in he's like which floor like <laughs> he was like super nice and like super polite but they were pretty pretty scary looking as a kid oh i mean i'm sure as an adult jesus like like, like those aggressive haircuts and yeah the face paint and then the spiked football pads <laughs> uh, going down <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's pretty cool uh have you ever met a wrestler a professional wrestler who have you met uh, the <laughs> so I have not. Um, I have oh. met a professional wrestler. Who? Um, but it's debatable as to whether they were truly a pro or a semi-pro or an amateur. Um, so Arn Anderson, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> Arn Anderson would be a good one because he has stories. That dude got in a knife fight with a dude. Like he got in a and he got a uh, he got in a scissor fight with a Sid Vicious. No that's shit. That's a great fucking story because they Sid were both Vicious on the had road. It coming. Yeah, yeah. You think? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Sid Vicious had it coming. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry, Sid Justice. He oh, I thought you were talking about Sid Vicious from fucking uh, Sex Pistols. No, um, a copyright issue. Uh, Sid, mm. the wrestler Sid Vicious. Oh, had he'd to change sue his you. Name. Oh, he would sue you. Yes. Yeah. He cool. had to change his name to Sid Justice, which didn't fit at all. But you know, you gotta do it. It's like I, WWE and WWF. I got to meet mankind. I think I've told you that before. I got to meet mankind. 
Uh, I wasn't sure if you'd been a wrestler. That's fine. Well, to finish my story, um, I helped my friend with a uh, a short film um, in Portland, and uh, uh, pro wrestling is pretty popular in Portland, and they had a wrestler on the set because it was a it was a shoot involving a lot of physicality, and we were boffing, and so you know what boffing is, right? No. Okay, so it's like LARPing except without the the roop part of it <laughs> without the role playing so it's just hitting each other with foam weapons okay um, and so we're doing a film based around the concept and the idea was we're going to do the choreography like we're all using real weapons but we're using fake weapons and then all the sound effects would be real weapons so it was fun it actually turned out really well he's an actual filmmaker no oh, gotcha. um, anyway one of the guys on the set looked like a fucking viking and sure enough he was like a viking themed wrestler a local nice. guy and I hung out with him pretty much the whole time. That's cool. <laughs> and I got to beat him in a fight. <laughs> well, it could be worse. You could be hanging out with Hulk Hogan. Nobody wants to do that. Ooh, nobody. But yeah, um, I don't know. Did you did you have much else you wanted to talk about with the movie? Um, not really. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like I could prattle on endlessly about what this movie means to me, and like I, I've already prattled on and on about like all the details like connections to the video game series and stuff but it's all going to go over your head so it's like other than you know for the audience it's it's just me making mouth noises mm. <laughs> um, so it's been more fun to just bounce around and talk about whatever the fuck um this is not a remarkable film in any way um i do think i was actually really surprised um that this is this director's only feature film um because i do think he has style and talent like I said, his, his character designs are not the best. Um, I think the biggest compliment I can pay the movie is the soundtrack. Um, I would highly encourage you to actually like listen to it sometime because mm-hmm. there are some outstanding pieces of music made for a not very good movie. Um, I find that's the case a lot of times, like maybe even especially in the animation world where somebody does their job, even if everyone doesn't. <laughs> and in this case, the composer certainly did. Um, even if the continuity people on this film did not, uh, because I'm sure you noticed uh, characters do not look right sometimes in this film. Yeah, a little confusing. Occasionally. Yeah, um, I don't know what the fuck happened. Because um, <laughs> that's that's one thing that um, I feel like maybe as an American, you have a bit more, you and I probably have more of a knee-jerk reaction to this than, than other audiences from other parts of the world. But in American animation um consistency has always been like a point of pride mm-hmm. like like every character is based on a model where you you draw like every angle of a character and you hand it out to your animation crew and you point at it and you say that's what mickey mouse looks like god damn it <laughs> it's like yeah. he's got white gloves his ears are this many millimeters wide you deviate from this, you're fucking fired. You're sue. We're going to sue you if you yes. deviate from that. You, and we're going fired. to sue you for defamation of Mickey Mouse. Yes. <laughs> but in, I want to say in the Japanese animated world, um, consistency is sometimes a problem. <laughs> where, um, depending on who's doing the animation uh, for certain shots, you get radical changes in the way the character looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're handing the character off to a different person and a lot of that probably also has to do with ambition where um japanese animation in particular like action animation um some of like the camera angles and camera movements are really wildly ambitious um 
to the point where it's like a little bit silly again it's like why not just do a live action <laughs> um but you know i i always applaud effort like i always like it when somebody tries even if they fail <laughs> um and this movie's not a lazy effort it's just it's not that great <laughs> um but i i still pop for a couple moments here and there mostly mostly because of my my uh history with the franchise like there's certain characters that i have a lot of memories of playing in games and it needs to be said uh fatal fury as a franchise is largely dead um however the king of fighters series still lives on um and all these i think all these characters pretty much still have a place in video games to this day um Hmm. so it's a very long-lived franchise even if the company snk is uh kind of they're in a weird spot so snk went bankrupt in the early 2000s and uh they were bought out by another Japanese company, which was then bought out by a Chinese company. And now a Chinese and a Japanese company are, are arguing over who gets ownership of it now. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's like, what is it? I mean, the, the branding is preserved, but w- who actually owns what? I couldn't fucking tell you. <laughs> this, this happens all too frequently. And it's like, Kyle, I just learned the other day that Swedish isn't real. Like the, the hospital brand. Oh, really? Real. Yeah, Swedish is owned by someone else. No kidding. I didn't know that. <laughs> but that happens all the time. Where a brand continues to exist, but it's just a puppet, you know? Yeah. yeah so there's a, like a really old American whiskey that's now owned by a Japanese conglomerate. So, yeah, I believe it. Well, what? Uh, Budweiser or whatever, wasn't it? Aren't they owned and operated by a German company or something? Yeah, I could, I'd see that. I could see that. That's very possible. But yeah, that shit happens all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much all I had to say about it. Did yeah. you have any other ran- random tangents you wanted to spin off into? Nah. What do we got for next week? What's the what's your next pick? <sighs> uh, you're going to have to help me out um, when it comes to picking. Because uh, MD Geist is on mm. the docket. Um, that might have to be another one of these style conversations. Okay. Because it is, like as bad as you thought this was, MD Geist is legitimately just objectively bad. Okay, like, like I think it's ironically entertaining somewhat, but it's mostly just um, similar to this one actually. Um, I think the story of of why I know it and and when I came to it in my life is probably more fascinating than the movie itself. Okay, um, it's bad, gotcha. <laughs> but it's two episodes in total, ninety minutes, so it's not going to be a huge waste of your time. Okay, um, so that's something I definitely want to get to, and then. I don't know. I threw out there uh, Street Fighter Two, the animated movie. Keep the fighting game train rolling. Now, do I need to see the first Street, the live action Street Fighter movie, to know what's happening in the Street Fighter Two movie? <laughs> no. Um, as far as I know, they were produced parallel to each other. Oh, okay. Um, and the animated one uh, has no connection whatsoever to the live action film. Um, and uh, similar to the Fatal Fury uh, movie, the the actual like franchise history was still in its infancy like we we hadn't even gotten into like street fighter alpha or anything so like i know for a fact you've played street fighter 2 at least once in your life so yes. the ro- the roster is at least going to look familiar to you even if you don't know who does what or who's important for what reason um so that should be approachable and it's pretty much just a standard action movie where the fan service is out of control where you have entire scenes devoted just to like give Zangief and Blanca a reason to be in the movie 
<laughs> it's like, do they have any bearing on the plot? No. They're just there to hit each other for 10 seconds so we can say that they're there. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds like a decent lineup. Okay. Well, I mean, if anything changes, though, I'll let you know. But either one of those might be next week. I'm not sure which comes first. Okay. Okay. Well, um, that being said, I guess we're done with Fatal Fury, the motion picture from 1994. Uh, so I'll do my spiel here. Uh, if you want to check out some of our other works online, our other podcasts, uh, we do have a website where you can look all those up. Uh, it is catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, and we have a couple of social media accounts as well, a Twitter, at Catching Cinema, and an Instagram account, at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those accounts if you want to leave a comment or make a suggestion or tell us how bad we are. Um, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will catch you next time.